40 tonight. We're going to turn to a few passages that are not in your notes there, but that's all right. And you'll see where we're going in a few minutes. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a series through Bible doctrines. And so we're continuing there. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We start in Exodus chapter number 40, and then we are going to go to several different places. As we look there, we, if you take the time to go through the rest of the book of Exodus here, you'll see the tabernacle is mentioned and all the things about the tabernacle. And there's so much, you could do a full study just on the tabernacle by itself. When we look at it and see how it all really pictures Jesus Christ and who he is, I want you to look at verse number 17 of chapter 4. It says, And it came to pass in the first month in the second year, and on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And the tabernacle is now set up. Now go with me to verse number 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, as you look right there, you see the fact that Moses could not enter in. It says, And when the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, Then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now we know the children of Israel, they leave Egypt, and they're going on their journey. And the Lord led them, and we know about the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. So it gets to the point where God says, to Moses up on the mount, I want to be with. I want to be near my people. I want them to know that I'm there. But this is the thing: God couldn't just dwell with them because they're sinners. That's not how it works with God. God and sin do not mix. That's why in heaven someday there will be no sin in heaven, because God and sin, God can't even look on it. So what God says outside the camp. We're going to make this thing, it's going to be the, ta- the tabernacle. And my presence will dwell in the tabernacle. And when they built the tabernacle and when they had it all set, we see here that the, that the Spirit of God entered into it, and Moses couldn't enter in when the Spirit of God was in there. And we could go into the book of Leviticus, and we could read lots of things about the tabernacle and see that there was this inner area. And in that inner area, the Holy of Holies is what it was called. In that area, no one could just go in there. You and I, if we were part of the children of Israel in that day, we couldn't have decided one moment, we're going to go into the tent and we're going to go in and see God close up. It didn't work that way. You enter in that area, you would die on the spot. And in fact, the high priest, after certain things were done, he could only go in once a year. And when he went in, that what they would do is they literally had a rope tied around him and bells on him. Why were the bells there? So when he was in there, you could hear that he was in there. Why was there a rope on him? So if he died being in there, they wouldn't go in and grab him out because they would die on the spot. They literally would take that rope and pull him out. Entering the presence of God 
was not something that you did in the Old Testament. It was not something taken lightly. There were a lot of things that went into it. And we see the fact that Moses, a great Christian, right? Probably a better Christian than a lot of us in this room, couldn't enter in because God's presence was there. We go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 now. Israel is no longer wandering in the wilderness. They no longer have that. And what would what the tabernacle represent? God's presence with his people. But God's presence was at a distance of people. We look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. And I'm just about there. And this is not in your notes. This is just some extra tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. And look with me in verse number 1. It says, um, actually go down to chapter 6, verse number 40. And it says, Now my God, let I beseech thee, thine, ears be o- thine eyes be open, thine ears be attend unto my prayer that is made in this place. And he talks about God, don't turn your face away from here. And look at chapter 7, verse number 1. When Solomon had made an end of praying... The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And the sacrifices of the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Now when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house... They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So not only did we see a few minutes ago back in the tabernacle, God's presence filled it, and you just couldn't go in there at any time you wanted. We see that now Israel's an established nation. And as an established nation, we know that David had a desire in his heart to build a temple. He saw his house that he had, and he wanted a house for God. But God told David, you can't do it. You've been in too many wars. There's too much blood on your hands, but I'll let your son do it. And Solomon builds the temple. And when the temple's built, God's glory, God's presence comes into the temple. And it fills it. And you see the fact that they couldn't go in because God's presence was right there. The glory of God coming there showed God's presence with his people. We go to Matthew chapter number 27 now. The book of Matthew is written to the Jews. Great things for us there as well. But as we look here, We look at verse 45 of Matthew 27. It says, Now when the sixth hour there was now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabbathani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Look at verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Look at verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple 
was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, listen up here for a minute. In the Old Testament, as the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they had a tabernacle. And God's presence abode in the tabernacle there. And you could not go in to the Holy of Holies at any time that you wanted. The priest could do it one time a year, and that area was off limits. Nothing changed in the temple. The temple was a more permanent fixture, but in that permanent fixture, you still couldn't go in there anytime you wanted. And in all reality, as a Gentile, you couldn't even get really to the outer court of the whole temple yard. You couldn't even get that far. And over in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence rested, there was a veil that covered the whole thing. And that veil was there to show, it was a thick material. It showed a separation between God and man because of sin. Man could not go to God because man had sinned. So we read here the fact that Jesus dies on the cross. The mediator between God and man, the only one who could die for sin, did. And when he did, the temple veil is rent in two. Which meant you now have access to God in a way the world has never seen before. And we've been talking about what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives. Well, we take our Bibles to one last passage, and then we'll get to our notes tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Giving you some verses to look at tonight, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look with me down at verse number 15. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Old Testament tabernacle, God's presence, God's spirit filled the tabernacle, and Moses couldn't go in. No one could just go in. Certain time of year, the high priest could go in. And that's it. The temple is built because it's a more permanent place. And God's presence fills the temple. And as God's presence fills the temple, you still just couldn't enter in and go before God. But there was a day that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And the day he died for your sins, that broken fellowship that brokenness was restored by jesus christ and then just as god's presence filled the tabernacle back in the day or as god's presence filled the temple god's spirit fills every believer you see when you get saved the spirit of god indwells us and when you take the time to just think on that 
and think about what that truly means. We look back and we think, wow, that tabernacle, that was a special place. because That's where God met his people and got as close to them as he could. Or we look at the temple and the Jews want another temple because they feel like the temple was their place they could worship God. And without the temple, they can't worship God. Remember what Jesus said? You don't need the temple. Those that worship me do it in spirit and in truth. You don't have to look to a mountain. You don't have to look to a temple. You can worship God for yourself. And to think, though, yeah, we say, we would all agree tonight that the tabernacle is a special place in the Bible. Wouldn't you all, would you agree with me that the tabernacle is a special place? I think we'd all agree with that. How many of you would agree with me tonight that the temple is a special place? So, you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Why do we do the things that we do with the, being the temple of the Holy Ghost? We would say, oh, the tabernacle, that was a special place. It is. Hey, the temple, it's a special place. Well, what made it special? It was just a tent in the wilderness. It was just a building with, yeah, there was a lot of Solomon's gold. There was a lot of gold there. I get that. But it, what made it different? The fact that it was indwelled by God's Spirit. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Spirit of God indwells you and I as believers tonight. So we've talked about the fact, and next week, Lord willing, we talk about our adoption, how the Spirit of adoption, how the Holy Spirit helps in that. But the Spirit of God moves in at salvation. And when we think about that, there are a lot of comparisons that you could really see very well in the Bible from the tabernacle to the temple to our bodies as the temple of the Holy Ghost. Are they different? Yes, they are. Are there similarities in there? There's a lot of similarities. I want to take just a couple minutes and give you a couple of those similarities, and then we'll be done in 12 minutes. Number one, we see that the temple, the tabernacle, and our bodies should be a place of dedication. A place of dedication. As we look at our text here, and I haven't even opened up my notes yet. Wow. Hold on. Let me get my notes open here. I was thinking about opening my notes. That's what happens when I just get carried away. Like, why do you need your notes? Just in case I get messed up. Place of dedication. That earth, you think about the earth, the tabernacle. You think about the temple. They dedicated and said, this is God's place. This is where God's going to be. And so as a place of dedication, we see letter A, the fact that the earthly temple, letter A, you got that there? Is it coming? Is it moving slow? The earthly temple was a place wholly dedicated to God and to his glory. The tabernacle was the same way. The Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus, chapter number 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put, and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You say, well, why did this happen? Because this place was dedicated to God. Not some false God. It was dedicated to God. And we can see further down in verse 8 through 11 of that same chapter, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Thou art thy sons with thee. 
when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put a difference between the holy and the unholy, and between the unclean and the clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord had spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. What God was telling Aaron is, this place, it is mine. It's not for the things of this world. It's not for the false gods. It's not for the unholy things. It is set apart. It's dedicated to me. We could go and look in Solomon's day that it was dedicated to the Lord. That's why when you read about the different kings that would go in there, and I mentioned Uzziah a while back, the fact that he went in and offered a sacrifice and God gave him leprosy for doing it, because that wasn't how it was supposed to be. This is God's temple. When Hezekiah let men go in there, you think about Nebuchadnezzar taking all the treasury of the temple. So much I could say there. But the tabernacle, the temple, were dedicated to the Lord. And may I just remind you tonight, church, that letter B, that these earthly bodies we dwell in should be set apart for the glory of God as well. The Bible tells us, and, and I know you don't, when we're talking about ourselves, you don't want Old Testament, you want New Testament, right? So I hear Christians a lot. What does the New Testament say? What does the New Testament say? Well, that's what I, I got here for you here. Romans 14, verse number 23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, it says, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Just as the temple and the tabernacle were dedicated to God, our bodies should bring honor and glory to Him, like that temple and tabernacle did in the Old Testament. Not only was the place of dedication, but number two is a place of worship. A place of worship. When we think about being a place of worship, we think about the fact that the temple was a place where men gathered to worship God. They would bring their sacrifices. They would bring these things to the temple. The Bible tells in Isaiah 56, verse number 7, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. You know how Jesus said his house was supposed to be a house of prayer? Not a house of merchandise? He gets it from Isaiah. That's where it comes from. And so the temple was supposed to be a place of worshiping God. And you would bring your sacrifices as part of the worship that would take place from the temple. But may I remind you as well tonight, letter B, as we get through here, just as the temple was um, devoted to God as a place of worship, our bodies are to be places where God is worshipped. We read a minute ago, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. We see that. We know what the scriptures say here. And as we think about that thought there, you say, well, how can I worship God with my body? I'm glad you asked me. You can start off, number one, by pre presenting it as a living sacrifice. 
When we think of sacrifices, we think of dead sacrifices, right? It's what they would have thought of. They offered those animals. They were sacrificed. But we're to be a living sacrifice. That's why when God says, hey, go to Cambodia, a living sacrifice says, okay, I will go. You know, you think about that, and we think about his mom. His mom fled from there. It's no wonder she didn't want him going back. That just makes sense to me. It's like she did all she could to leave that. And now you're crazy enough to go back to that? That's literally. Think on that just a little bit. But God's plans and God's ways, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is, after all he's done, your reasonable service. After all the Lord's done, it's reasonable for us to be a living sacrifice. It's reasonable for us to... Do you see, that's the word sacrifice. We don't understand in America what sacrifice is. We think it's sacrifice because we give a missionary our Starbucks money for the day. That's not a sacrifice. There's a lot greater things that are sacrifices. But how can we worship God with his body? We can worship him as a living sacrifice. Number two... We can worship him through prayer. I think that's what took place here just a little bit ago tonight. It'd be nice if more people showed up for prayer. If God's house is supposed to be known as a house of prayer, then we should have more people show up for prayer than we do for food. Just a little thought. You can keep that one there. And then not only, but not only that, but we need to be praising him continually. Number three. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then, number four, in your body, serve him. Do you serve the Lord? Romans 16, 6 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. The Bible talks about serving the Lord with gladness and coming before His presence with singing. We need to serve Him. Let me ask you tonight, do you serve the Lord? Do you have a place of service? You should. If you're going to stand before God someday. You should serve the Lord. We see thirdly tonight, and we're just about done, we see the tabernacle, the temple was a place of duty. There was duties that were fulfilled. God gave them. What, what were some of the duties? There were sacrifices that were given. In the Old Testament, they had the tithes that they would bring. The offerings, all these things were performed in the temple. It was a place where the duties were performed. And do you realize tonight that just as it was a place that duties were performed in the Old Testament... Our bodies should be a bodies willing to, and we should do things for the Lord. Just like you would in those temples. As you would go to the temple or the tabernacle and pray or give a sacrifice, we should be willing to give to the Lord and do those things. And then lastly tonight, we see that the temple, the tabernacle, and our bodies should be a place of death. Now, you don't, we don't like hearing this one too much. But do you realize 
And we think about letter A, the fact that the old temple in Jerusalem was the scene of many deaths. Do you have any idea, if you were to add up, you go and you read what had to be sacrificed in order for an offering to be made, millions upon millions of animals died there. At the, ta- at the tabernacle, at the temple. Millions. They died there. And while you sing, and maybe you worship and you praise in the temple, it's a great thing. No matter what you do, you know, you talked about earlier the smell in Cambodia. I can only imagine. And uh, maybe, maybe someday I'll get to go. I don't know. But that, I'm sure there's a, uh, he talks about the, that smell. You know, you get in Chino very long. There's still that little smell of cows every once in a while. There's just some things you're not going to be able to do to get rid of it. I wonder, and just think with me. At the tabernacle or at the temple, as beautiful as the temple was with all the gold and all the great things, there had to be an awful stench there from all the dead animals and all the blood that was there. Because it was a place of death. Something died. May I just remind you tonight as we close that letter B and lastly, we're challenged to be dead to certain things in this world. When we think about those things, we think about what the Bible tells us, and there's so many verses you have there, the fact that we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The fact that we are in Christ, we're new creatures, and all those old things are passed away, and all things become new. Look at Colossians 3. I want you to read these verses with me, and then we're going to be done here tonight. Colossians 3, verse number 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore put to death. That's what the word mortify means. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affections. Evil concupiscence. And and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them. But now ye have put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemies, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Just as the temple and the tabernacle was a place of animal death, these temples should be a place of death. What should we put to death? Well, there are several things mentioned there. Number one is fornication. And when you think of fornication, you think of sex outs bef- not being married. And really, adultery is a form of fornication. It's all in that same level there. And the Bible talked about, and do you, didn't we read it a few minutes ago? That fornication is sinning against your own body. There's something a little bit more about it. And then, so, Paul tells us, and if you look at the text there, 
He's telling us to flee fornication because of the fact that our bodies belong to God. And you're sinning against that body when you fornicate. And there's, and there's so much more I could say there that I'm not going to say tonight. And then we see that Paul tells us later on, you have to put to death that. Which means that it could be inside of us. You know what I mean? And I think it's, we see these things, and we've got to be very careful because we don't want to defile. Fornication is one. How about this one? Uncleanness. That's impurity or thoughts. Impurity in our thoughts or life. Inordinate affections. Evil desires and passions. Evil concupiscence. It's a big word right there. A lot of people don't know what that word means, but we think of, it's like, you know, we think of lust. It's like, so it's, it's even a stronger word than lust, and it's evil. An evil desire. A strong evil desire. Number five, covetousness, which has to do with greed or not being satisfied with what you already have. And then lying. And I think you know what lying is. I don't think anyone needs help with that one tonight. I think even all the young kids in the room know what lying is, right? I think everyone knows what lying is. You might not know what concupiscence is, but you know what lying is. So it's an awesome privilege tonight, and don't ever lose sight. You know, sometimes we look, and I'll have people say, well, don't do these things. Yeah, you need to put these things to death. But do you understand tonight why you need to put these things to death? It's because of the fact of who lives in you. You're not your own. It's not your body, your life to do as you please. We could go back and you look at the Old Testament and you look at how they couldn't even get God's presence to stay with them. You could even go to David's psalm of repentance there. He says, hey, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. And then tonight, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Things changed when Jesus died on the cross. And when that happened, God made it possible that the Spirit of God didn't have to live close by on the outside. And you could see that he still cared about you, but he wasn't really there there. He was there, but he wasn't in you. And that tabernacle and the temple, he was there. He was with his people. But he wasn't with his people. But then Jesus dies on the cross, and now the Spirit of God moves from a building or a tent, and he dwells in us now. And to think they couldn't even enter into the place where God's presence was, and now he lives in us, that's, a hu- that's an awesome responsibility given to us, isn't it? The fact that God lives in God lives in you tonight. If you're saved, God lives in you. Just as much as, you know, I look and I'll read that Old Testament where Moses said, God, I just want to see, and God spoke to Moses almost face to face, very close to that. I get jealous of that sometimes. I would love to be there with God. Or you think about the disciples seeing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as we've talked about, and seeing him for who he truly is. And yet, the most neglected of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. It's just as much God as the other two are. And the Old Testament people would have loved to get around the Spirit of God. And they couldn't. But now he lives in us. And that's a huge responsibility.
And yes, there are differences between the tabernacle, the temple, and us today. There are differences, but there are a lot of similarities. And we take this thing of Christianity and what God's get, we take it way too casually. You might not agree with the President of the United States tonight, but if, he, if you were invited to go meet, if, you were, if he was in the room where you were, it would be an honor to have the President here. No matter who you, what you think, it's the President of the United States. That would be, that's, the Holy Spirit's much greater than the President would ever be on any side. And he lives in you all the time. And what we do is, instead of worshiping him and having a place dedicated to him, we say, come live in my filth with me. And he does. He does. Which is an amazing thought right there itself. Just remember the fact the temple is a place of worship, a place of dedication, a place of duty, and a place of death. And be grateful for what God's given you. And don't forget that. And young people, as you grow up, and as you live in this world, and this world tries to get you full of its garbage, you belong to God. Your body is His temple. And as the temple of the Holy Ghost, there are certain things you should not do and that you should render yourself dead to because the Spirit of God lives in us. Father,